We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events. We're always writing articles. But when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy, soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen... You can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner, promo code T H E C O R N E R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Another week, another episode of the Corner Podcast. You already know Kel Dansby here next to the old man, Andreas Hale. We are in the building. So much to talk about this week. It is crazy. Boxing has a big fight. It feels like we've waited the entire summer to say that. And this is only the beginning of a great stretch run here in September and ending the year. UFC has a pay-per-view, even though they're marketing October's pay-per-view a little bit more. WWE, the May Young Classic came out, which I don't even know if we have time to talk about that. Uh, All In was last weekend. We're going to recap that. But we have to start off with 
something that's popping off on Twitter. Colin Kaepernick signs with Nike and people are burning shit in the streets. Boy, this is stupid. <laughs> they are, they're burning Walmart-style Nikes in suburbia right now, Dre. They are hurting. They, they are saying, you know what? F your knee. F your protest. This is my protest. Most of these people got fire pits in the backyard. Like, you can tell a lot by how people are when they're burning shit. Like, black people get mad. You got to burn shit in the streets. You got to burn shit that's not yours. You got to loot. You got to riot. You got to go to stores and burn shit you wish you had. These people are just like, no, nah, I got a fire pit in the backyard. Like, nah, I, I, I roast marshmallows. But today, today I'm burning sneakers. And cutting yeah. socks, straight. Cutting socks. This is a... Uh... I mean, it's fascinating to me because I've been watching, you know, I've been riding with Kaepernick since day one. Um, I spoke about it at length on this podcast. But uh, it's crazy that, that Nike gives them a commercial and people are pissed. They're like, yo, I can't believe you did that, yada, yada, yada. I'm going to burn stuff, right? So the crazy thing about it is you're so mad at somebody who's protesting police brutality and racial inequality. Yet in the same breath, you'll sit there and say that I commended Muhammad Ali for dodging the draft, which is far worse than kneeling for the anthem. A lot worse. That that's a that's a fu to the country. Right. So, like in, in in my mind, I mean, you know, Ali's act was a, a bigger feat than what Kaepernick did. Like putting your life, like he put his life on the line, and he stepped back and he he put himself under fire. The heavyweight champion of the world. Now I get it. Once he's inept and he was unable to really defend himself or speak properly in the media when Parkinson's really took over, people fell in love with him because he was a non-threat. But it's crazy that people are so mad that Nike has endorsed a man whose his, – his stance isn't fuck America. His stance isn't um, – it's not necessarily fuck all the police. It's like I just want equality, and until I get it, I'm, I was going to take a knee. Now, I'm not in the league anymore, <laughs> and, and Nike's and Nike spent – like people were like, oh – this was a great business plan. I don't think Colin Kaepernick got into this thinking that he was going to get an endorsement by Nike for uh, making a socially conscious statement. They don't know his contract if they think that. Like right. he, he bounced on $8 million left in his contract to be bought out. He wanted to start. Like it had nothing to do with taking the end. He wants to play football. Right. And like he, the guy he does. And the guy was damn near. I mean, he signed a second deal. Like he's made 50 mil. Like this isn't. A ploy to make more money. You know how you make more money? You shut up, you put your hand on your chest, and you play on Sundays, and you collect that backup money. Or, or you hope to become a starter again. He could be Tyrod Taylor. He could be cashing out 10, 12 mil every year. So here's my question for all those people. I mean, nobody listens to this is, that, is Bernie Nikes. If you are, you're crazy. I don't know how you could possibly listen to us. Yeah. But <laughs> if you are burning Nikes... How can you find yourself watching the NFL, who is endorsed and sponsored by Nike? Are you going to burn like like yeah? You could burn those old Walker shoes. Yeah, they're not but, burning their jerseys, Dre. No, but this they're, they're, out, they're <laughs> outfitting the league. So are you are you going to are you really boycotting Nike? You're just mad, and I love it in you. I love to see you all so mad. Like. <laughs> What like what are you mad for? Like what do you, what do you expect is going to happen? Like Donald Trump said this, the stock dropped, which was completely untrue, completely untrue. So it wasn't people dumping stock because they endorsed Kaepernick. Because a matter of fact, all like, stocks dropped that day. I think. Yeah, everybody took a hit. 
But that's that's not that's, like people who are dumb don't really know how like the stocks work. And it's not like a one day like, oh shit, everybody abandoned stock on Nike because they signed Kaepernick. Don't work like that. Nike's still selling Jordans and everything else. They're fine. This endorsement was, I mean, they got into business. I mean, Nike's about a business. And they see somebody who, whether there's somebody socially conscious in Nike or not, but they know that Kaepernick is a lightning bolt and has a ton of people. I mean, look. Kaepernick jersey sold like hotcakes last season. He didn't even play a single down. It's the biggest Nike social media tweet ever. It was the Kaepernick but, tweet. He, right. he beat LeBron going to Miami and going back to Cleveland. I mean, it, it is insane. But y'all can be mad, man. Like, y'all, I love it in you. I love it. And I'm probably going to wear my Kaepernick jersey sometime this week. <laughs> I love the hypocrisy of people that hate his pre- peaceful protest but found nothing else to do but peacefully protest. Like, the only thing you could do was protest him because you're mad that he's protesting. Like, that shit makes no sense. (laughs) No sense. And and, and furthermore, he's not protesting in the league anymore. He's not even visible in in that sense. Like, you don't have to watch him on Sundays take a knee. No, but they're mad that they still have to watch somebody take a knee. Like, it's crazy. Let's be real. Really... Who watches the anthem before the game starts in the first place? Well, now all the networks show it because it's a hot button issue. No one paid attention to anthem before. But that's what I'm saying. Like nobody was like, "Yo, can't wait to turn on this game to see the anthem." It, it didn't become that until Kaepernick came along. But, but now that he's no longer visible, now you're bad because Nike endorsed him. Like, I don't like. Are y'all do y'all watch football on Sundays anymore? Listen, I work for a network. The dirty little secret is that's the money maker. Like, they show the anthem now because that's the moneymaker. I mean, dude, people write reports over this. Like, uh, you know, at Sport News, we write, you know, stuff about who took a knee and who didn't. Like, ESPN had, like, a regular thing going. Um, but it's, it's ultimately, it's like, all right, cool. Like, if you watch that, that commercial, which is fucking amazing, by the way. Great. And, and you're protesting that. You're protesting a man that says, basically, live out your dreams in adversity. You're protesting that? Yes. Like, you watch that commercial, you see the, the, the boy who wrestles with no feet. Like, they have the documentary on Netflix, Zion, and it's amazing. You, you see the, the lengths that people will go through to make it in this world. And they will put everything on the line when they're told they cannot do it. And they still pull through. That's what that commercial is about? And you're burning stuff about that? Man, you really hate black people. Burning stuff yeah. about that? Wearing the red hat? That's all you did missing. Wearing the red hat? Grand people by the pussy. Yeah, and, I, you know, <laughs> like, I know we're going to talk about Kanye at some point, but, I, man, Kanye must feel like a real jackass. Like, you support a, a president who is publicly denouncing a man who's basically saying the things that you used to say live out your dreams. Pretty much. <laughs> like, it, it, if it doesn't service that man in the office, it is counterproductive in his mind. Shit it's, just can't be. Like, either something is directed towards him or something is moving with him. Everything revolves around him. The ego is incredible. So this is counterproductive to him. It's Nike just can't be. Like, it, Nike just wants to put this out there. He takes everything as a direct shot at him. I mean, it's whatever. It's impeccable. <laughs> impeccable. So, shout out to Kaepernick. Uh, the movement's moving still. And, yes, I still watch football. I'm not boycotting it. But my man has made a mark. And you know what? He's done more already. And his name will be in the history books already. 
The hell with the NFL Hall of Fame. The hell with any Hall of Fame. He's going to go down as one of the most influential players ever because of this. Absolutely. And it's incredible. And no stats matter. I don't even care that he went to the Super Bowl. All that shit is secondary. This is what he was meant to do. Um, outside of the cap stuff, I need to ask you, Dre, before we move on. Are you in that mood yet? This is what, what I need to know. Are you in that mood yet? Because Joe Beasy is back. And he doesn't even have to spit to do it. His podcast this week, the Joe Budden podcast, was an hour and a half version of a mood music mixtape. It was just in podcast form. Because he was spitting fire this week. If people don't know, Eminem dropped a surprise album. We'll talk about what we think about the album itself. But he named names, called people out. We have MGK releasing a diss record back at Eminem. And we have Joe Budden airing Shady Records' Dirty Laundry in the streets to be had. You listen to the Joe Budden podcast. We I've listened to it. Damn near everyone listening to this show, I'm assuming, has listened to it. Because a bunch of hip-hop heads follow us. What's your take on what Joe said about the inner workings of Shady Records and Eminem just being over the hill. Well, we'll, we'll start with them first. Um, Joe is Joe is very spot on about a lot of the things that he's saying, uh, and I'm not. And I've never proclaimed to be the biggest Joe Button fan, but the truth of the matter is, <laughs> people know where I, I stand. People know I, where I stand. I know you do. I know. I know. <laughs> there's a there's, there's a hint of bias there, but it's cool. It's cool. But the thing about the, what Joe Budden was saying about Slaughterhouse, and a lot of this stuff is true because Eminem is a creative. And when he signed Slaughterhouse, they never really did anything together. They did the double XL cover and everything disappeared. It never works like that in terms of supporting an artist. All the artists that, that drowned under Dr. Dre and Aftermath were never really seen with Dre. Yeah. Joel Ortiz when he was signed to Aftermath. Uh, Raven Savino at one time was signed to Aftermath. People know who she is. Um, you go back, you look at Hitman. You look at a lot of those people. If Dre wasn't standing next to you, you didn't you didn't go anywhere. It was over. Yeah, but so you get the it, exhibits, you get the M and M's, you get the Kendricks, and it matters, right? Yeah, but it, but it depends on how they come along, and it depends on the, the the relationship between the artist and that label head, or in this case, could be the artist, where it could be Eminem, or you could look at uh, Rosenberg. So with Slaughterhouse, like. It's, it's, it's hard for me to talk because I, I know a lot of the guys in Slaughterhouse and we've had a lot of conversations. Well, I know a few of the guys personally. Like I know people know that I know Royce. People know, may know that I know Crook. Um, I've spoken to Joel and I've never really st- spoken to Joe, which is a weird thing. Um, I don't think Joe I, speaks to many people. Like outside of his circle, I, I don't think he's that type of dude. Well, it's strange because Joe was one of the first people I came in contact with at BET um, with my man Low Key and anybody who knows Low Key uh, with Duce Palooza and Henny Palooza. Lowe's my guy. Lowe used to work with me at BET. And, and Lowe and Joe actually became really good friends. And I su- somehow I didn't get in that circle. I think it was gone too soon. Um, <laughs> for me, I ended up being friends with Royce. And that because of Kino and Kim Osari lived up the street for me. And I've always been a Royce fan. But I was friends with Kino first. So when Slaughterhouse first, real quick story. When Slaughterhouse was first coming together, Kino was giving me a ride to work. Because I didn't feel like driving to that day. And for those who don't know, Kino was Royce's manager. So Kino's in the car and he starts playing songs for me. And he's like, don't tell anybody you heard this. So he plays me um, the Royce and Buster song off of, I can't remember the album. Um, 
but it wasn't finished. He played me Buster's verse. He played me part of Royce's verse. He played me something to ride to, the, the song with Royce and Fonte. And I remember I called Fonte. I was like, yo, you on Royce's album? And he was like, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so then he plays the song for me, and he was like, man, I got an idea. And I'm like, well, what? He was like, what do you think about BT breaking some news? And I'm like, about the Royce album? He was like, no, 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 no. I got something bigger for you. So the idea was for, for us to break the news about Slaughterhouse at BET. Now, if anybody's followed this, they've known that my, my boss at BET was a fucking idiot at the time. <laughs> she shot this down. The idea, and if, if, anybody, like, if anybody from my past knows about this, you may have heard this story, but I don't think a lot of people have. Me and Loki had this idea. The idea was to have a camera crew in the boardroom, and Royce would come into the boardroom and take a seat. Then Joel would come in, and then uh, Joe would come in, and then Crook would come in. And then they would actually they would they would cipher and they would announce Slaughterhouse. That was the plan. And my boss blew it up. So I've always kind of had the inner workings of Slaughterhouse around me. Um, so I say that to say this. When they signed to Shady, everything changed. And everybody everybody noticed everything changed. And without really talking too much in detail, the politics of what changed. And the politics is exactly what Joe talked about on the podcast. Yes. He's fucking right. He's He's 100% right about this. It's, it, crazy. it's so hard. Like, it went from four chefs into the, in the kitchen, which is still a lot. But Crooked talked about it on his IG story. They voted on everything. If you lost the vote, you just had to eat that. Mm. Um, but it was four chefs at the end of the day. Four guys. They said four brothers. Joe still doesn't talk down upon any of them, even in the podcast. Not a bad word about any one of those guys. Yeah. Um and it was four guys, and you know what? Sometimes you don't agree with your brother, but that's what he says, and they understand we vote. It's cool. What Joe's biggest gripe was, it seems like, is that eight more chefs came into the kitchen. Oh, absolutely. It was, I mean, you're taking me off of this song, you're taking him off that song, you're telling us what beats to use, what things to... It, it seemed like what you get when you go to a major. Like, I have talked individually to everybody but Joe about, um, what the hell was the last album that never came out that was supposed to come out? Glass House. Glass House, okay. So I've talked to everybody individually, separate from each other. I've talked to Crook. Like, me and Crook did an interview with Good versus Evil album. Then me and Crook started talking about boxing, because he likes boxing. Then me and Crook <laughs> asked about Glass House. And Crook had an answer that was just like, we recorded a bunch of songs, but man, I don't know if it's going to come out. Da, da, da. I, called, I talked to Royce. Me and Royce talked about the Prime album. And we talked about boxing, because Royce is a big boxing fan. Yeah. Then I'm like, so, what's up with this Glass House album? Royce tells me about Booker Ryan. And then he's like, eh, I don't know, there's a bunch of bullshit going on, blah, blah, blah. I called Joel. Me and Joel have a conversation about, I can't even remember what, but now Joel's releasing this album with Apollo Brown. Um, but this is before that. And me and Joel have a conversation, and we, we talk about boxing. Find out Joel is a boxing fan, too. We shoot the shit. Joe says, call me anytime about some box shit. I got you, which I still haven't done. I asked about Glasshouse. I get the same exact answer, <laughs> but, but, but not said in the same way. It's all like we recorded a bunch of songs, but then, you know, and nobody wants to throw anybody under the bus. But the fact of the matter is the politics were, were, became the problem. Yeah. You know, because just Blaze was at the helm of a lot of that shit. And I, I have a feeling that Blaze was pushed out of a lot. And they ended up with different kind of beats and a bunch of other stuff. So at the end of the day, what the, the Button Podcast, 
he's speaking a lot of truth and and he says it from his perspective and it, it kind of feels like a something to wrestle with podcast a little bit yeah because joe's only talking from his side so you don't really get a chance to hear other perspectives but and if people know joe i mean he is a weird dude and like his opinions are often skewed yeah i mean you know but the, the truth is in there somewhere it's this, not yeah. it's not fallacy like he didn't just create this like no. it, it's rooted in truth like, like, ultimately, Slaughterhouse is a rap group. And when I say rap group, I mean four guys who only really, really cared about rapping. They didn't care about writing hooks. They didn't care about, you know, making music for fans that weren't fans of them anyway. They were really about bringing the four of them together and the bases that they individually had to support them. Like, Slaughterhouse was always a group, and I always joke with Royce about this. Slaughterhouse was a group that you would go to a concert and it'd be nothing but dudes like high-fiving and bumping chest. There'd be no women there. <laughs> and it, it just went the way it was because that's what they were built for, but they never tried to appeal to the other side. So when they signed to Shady, the best thing that M could have ever have done was joined them on a song or done something to support them, and he never did. And well, I'm not I, gonna that's, ne- that's unfair because the ciphers really gave them good buzz. Ah, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. The ciphers are still super rap. Like, Eminem... And I'm not going to say it's completely his responsibility, but a lot of it falls on him. Like the a bit a brighter light could have been shown on on Slaughterhouse. Like Slaughterhouse could have been on the Eminem album. And that's what you touched on, and that's the that's the key point Joe Budden hit on on that podcast. It was we are here to inspire M, and he will use us for inspiration. We're supposed to be using his star to get somewhere without us and new talent to take from and to be inspired by and all this stuff. M has nothing to write about. He has nothing to push him. He has run out of things. And that is true. Eminem was inspired by Royce and Crooked and and Budden and Joel and wanted to be more lyrical and rapidly rapping. So he started doing ciphers and freestyles and BT again. He wasn't doing that before. Then he wanted to be more indie. He wanted to be more old school, rapidly rap M, and less, you know, pop rock hooks. And they gave him that outlet. They gave him that inspiration. And he has done that throughout the course of time. And Joe Joe was right. And when that didn't work, Joe. And Slaughterhouse was gone, and we see this album, he goes back to what he knows, and that's just throwing a bunch of names out there and dissing people. It, so it's just not pop, you know, it's not Britney Spears in, in sync anymore. So let's talk about it. This Kamikaze album, which was a surprise album, um, came out, I thought it was cool. Um, I really liked it, and then I realized maybe it's just because my expectations were very low. Yeah, I mean, for, so for me, like, I was on, like, the ground floor when M came out. So I, I've been there. I, like, I was, like, the Slim Shady EP, Infinite Days, I was fucking with M. Royce, too. Um, Scary Movies, the game recordings, when they did that stuff before. Scary they Movies had, is still so dope. Yeah. That song uh, was fire. Nothing, nothing to do, which is amazing. It made, made me a believer in Royce. So over the course of time, like, I thought Marshall Mathers' LP was phenomenal. I thought the Slim Shady EP was was really, really good. And the Slim Shady LP was great. I was a huge fan of the Eminem show. And then it just kind of all started falling off the table for me. Uh, then the accents came. That's for everyone. 
No, right. no one can look me in the eyes and tell me they like the accents. Well, so so my issue was this. Like, and there's always been a difference between Royce and M, in my opinion. I've always been a big big Royce fan. For he Royce was the not to joke about it. Royce was my first interview ever when, as a journalist. Ever was my first. That's that was crazy. Royce. <laughs> so when Royce came out, like Royce was rap like death is certain. Royce was rapping about a bunch of stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. Not everything hit, but he's rapping about a bunch of stuff. But it, it didn't take, it was 20 years later that Royce started pulling back the curtain on his own life. Eminem did that very early in his career. And when he did that, he ran out of stuff to talk about. Like, Eminem is one of the, like, it became style over substance with Eminem very quickly. Because yeah. he, could, he could rap about brutalizing an MC. Like, even before the Britney Spears and the, the pop stars and all that stuff, like, Eminem was phenomenal at punchlines and metaphors. He was unbelievable. But he was but then, bragging about his skills. Yeah, but, cause, but he, he was just dope. You know, like, there was just so many things he was to say, say that was unreal. And, then, like, people like me, I'm a punchline. I love punchline rappers. I was big on cannabis, Chino XL, Razzcats. I love guys who could make me say shit and be like, damn, I, couldn't, I can't believe I thought, he thought of that. <laughs> so M used to do that. But then somewhere along the line, he stopped doing that. He just started putting words together. And, it, and now, like Rap God, for instance, and you look at a lot of those songs, have zero replay value. Why? Because he's not talking about shit. Yeah. That's what Kamikaze is. He's not really talking about shit. He is the old man on the porch telling you to get off his lawn. Yeah. And Joe is right again where he says, or I think Rory said on the podcast, we're tired of hearing you tell us about how much you sucked last time. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to hear that. Like, He's in an interesting space. Like, Roy, like Eminem is still a guy who feels like he has something to prove. And the fact of the matter is that, dog, you don't really have to prove anything. Like, when you're at the top of your game, just keep winning and do what you did to get there. And all the greats have always done that. Like, you look at LeBron. LeBron's never let up off of his game. He still hits the weight room. He still does all the things. Like, if he, st- if he just kept dunking on people... Like, if you look at guys like Shaq who just dunked on people, then one day you can't get off the ground anymore. And that's why I always use, like, Vince Carter as a great example because Vince Vince Carter was electrifying when he came into the league, doing things that nobody else could do. But then one day he he couldn't do that anymore. So he had to figure out the rest of his game. Some people evolved. M didn't. M has not evolved. He stopped. Eminem, and I said this in our group chat, is Roy Jones Jr. Naturally, naturally, probably the best rapper ever take like style wise just natural talent but sooner or later you slow down and you say this about roy jones all the time like he relied off of reflexes and there was no fundamentals there was no substance Mm -mm. so what happens when there's no substance you start getting caught and then after a while, you're chasing who you used to be, and you're still staying around. And Roy is still fighting. Name fights in Russia, and, and Embin's doing the same thing. It was you. You have lost that natural athleticism. Somewhere along the line, you lost what made you great. And listen, shout out to sobriety. Sobriety. We want you know these people to be around for a very long time. We don't need people dying early. But sober M and getting sober M. Something changed. And maybe it was too much drugs, M, when the, the stupid, when he really went off the deep end with the pills and everything, and the accents came out and all this stuff, and it, 
you couldn't get back to it. It's like changing your swing in golf. You try to go back to the original, that shit really never works. Like, you, once you tweak it a little too much, you, you can't find the bounce anymore. And M lost it. And he's never going to get it back. And he's on the Roy Jones plan. Like, you're sticking around too long. You're, you're chasing things that aren't there anymore. You're only hurting your legacy. I mean, he's chasing ghosts. And in the process of chasing ghosts, what he's ending up doing is he's trying to harness the past and talk about the past. Past doesn't matter anymore. Kids don't care about the past in hip hop, so you can gotta give that shit up. Kids barely know, you know the past. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, you know, not to go too far off track, but I saw a tweet the other day that said, "This Andre 3000 guy is really good. I wonder why he doesn't have an album out." <laughs> so it's like kids don't really care about the past. So you harking back on what you did back in the day. For one, it's like Eddie Murphy doing stand up today. Like, I want Delirious. I want Raw, but you can't do Delirious and Raw in 2018. You really can't. That, it's dated, right? Like, Marshall Mathers LP cannot come out in 2000 LP. So you have to come up with a different brand. Damn like sure can't do the Ken Kanifsky. No, like you, but that's what I'm saying. You can't do any of the things that you used to do that got you on top. Some people evolve and some people don't. The, the credits to Joe Budden, he evolved. He realized, I have another platform. And now he's making millions talking. Because people want to hear what he has to say. Joe Budden is every NFL star who retires... And goes into the commentary booth. He's Shannon Sharp. Yeah, he's Shannon. Like they rappers just didn't realize that that's the natural progression. And telling you to this day, my favorite Drake line ever is, you know, rap and sports are so synonymous because they want to be, or they want to be us, or we want to be them, and they want to be us. And that shit's so real. And they just didn't realize. Like, listen, you don't have to rap until you're sixty, but you can now. Establish your credibility on your craft because you've done it and critique those coming next. And that's what makes Shannon Sharp so great. That's what makes, you know, the QBs and, and Tony Romo, who does a great job during games and everything, because you've been there. You know how it should look. You are not only a good player, you are a Pro Bowl player. He is a Pro Bowl rapper. Is he a Hall of Fame rapper? That's out of for debate. He's a Pro Bowl rapper. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go and critique these young rookies. And that works. And now we see Nori doing it. Fat Joe got a podcast. Nicki Minaj got a podcast. And that's the future of this. They're going to take people like us, journalists, which is what they do in sports. You take a journalist, you take an athlete, you put them together, boom, you got a show. Right, and, and the reason why, the reason why I use Shannon Sharp is, is for this. I, I was very particular about saying Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp was one of the greatest tight ends in the NFL. Nobody knew what he looked like. Shannon Sharp could walk into a restaurant, and a vast majority of people who don't see him with his helmet off would be like, "Who the hell is that?" Yeah. Today, Shannon Sharp is, is there's people that be like, "He played football." <laughs> Uncle Shannon. Like when they see Shannon talk about his henny, they think it's they're like, "Man, this guy's great on television." But people forget who Shannon Sharp was. Yeah. Like when when Shannon talks to Skip about football, he talks about it from experience. When Joe talks about rap, he talks about it from experience. The problem with Joe is the same problem that Shannon had. Joe couldn't necessarily he wasn't the most popular rapper. But people who knew Joe knew, man, he could rap. Yeah. People who knew Shannon was like, man, he's one hell of a tight end. But nobody like, nobody was like, man, who's your favorite football player of all time? Shannon Sharp. That never happened. But now, <laughs> now when he when he's sitting, he's on across the table from Skip Bayless on Undisputed, and he's talking, he's speaking these truths that are outside of just the realm of sports. 
Like when he talks about, uh, you know, social activism and stuff like that, when he sp- speaks on Kaepernick, when he speaks on LeBron James, and those things go viral, that's his second career. That's his second act. Joe Budden has hit his second act. Eminem doesn't have a second act. He has one act. Even Roy Jones has found his second act in commentary and training. Eminem doesn't have one. And it's over. Yes, and it's over. Like, life comes at you fast. And Joe Budden, it's funny, kind of like mocks Em. By the end of it, he's just being extremely condescending and just bagging on Em. But the truth is, is that Joe Budden is in the power position now. He has a bigger audience now. And I don't care about record sales and blah, 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 because guess what? Labels can, they've always skewed record sales. And the streaming and all this stuff. And I was on a podcast like a couple weeks ago, and I was like, I'll tell you this. We're going to see more rappers. We're going to see more doing podcasts. Because if you get exclusive deals, if you get points from a Spotify, from a title, from an Apple Music, and you sign an exclusive deal, and they give you points the same way that they give these artists points, you can do 300,000 listens of a podcast every week. Rappers ain't selling 300,000 copies. They ain't selling yeah. 30,000 copies a week. But don't worry, this, this too shall die. This podcast thing will die just like rap blocks did. Oh, yeah, but we... we, we it's over. It's getting oversaturated. Thankfully, we ahead of a wave. Hey, we're riding it. But and there's an evolution to this. And I tell, and we're currently to pull the curtain back a little bit, trying to evolve. We do this. We have fun. We talk every week. I get to hear you be a grumpy old man. You get to hear my hot takes. That shit is cool. The next evolution, the next making money, is no different than hip hop, which is you gotta take this shit on the road. You gotta sell tickets. You got to have live shows. You got to have merch. Then the money starts popping off. Then you get, you know, the exclusive. You're on a network. Like loudspeaker, you get exclusive deal with one of these things. That's where the money comes from. And that's the next evolution. If you can't do that, you're going to be a SoundCloud rapper. Which is cool. Everyone got a SoundCloud. But only so many people doing shows. Only so many people can tour. And that's where we're going with podcasts. And then that and getting these network deals and TV and Jesus and mirroring this shit, that, that's the next evolution. You got to turn it into something else. You can't be stacked. But I, I think we're going to see an oversaturation of the market. And Joe, to his credit, has always been ahead of the curve. And this is me as a Joe Budden fan. But it, it's also objective. He was on Amalgam Music, going strictly digital with his albums. I had to get Halfway House on Amalgam Music, on a digital download, put on an iPod. Phones didn't even have music capability yet. And he was doing this. People said, why would you just go straight digital with it? Because after Def Jam, you didn't trust anyone. That was his indie route. You don't have to print copies. They don't take that out of your money. You, you save money, hence you're making money. And then now everything is digital. No one has a physical CD, damn near. He's been ahead of the curve in so many things. The podcast stuff, the rate, like he, he's seen it. And he's always evolved. And using Twitter and social media, and you've been on Twitter since like 2009. You mentioned with low key and all this stuff. The friends that he's had have been very influential on Twitter. They were part of a movement. He's always been part of that. Using YouTube, Joe Bunny TV, and everything. Like M M has none of these traits. Like no, he has he, nothing I mean, else to pull from. Joe Bunny has everything. 
he didn't learn. I mean, I guess it's 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 the it's the like the rise and fall of myself anyway, because like when I was in at BT in New York, I watched this stuff happen. Like I saw like Joe, I saw Drake, I saw Low, I saw, I met Jesus Romero, and I couldn't remember where. Like people were like you met them, I was like no, I didn't. But whatever. But it's like a lot of those guys. Like I saw my man Rob go from M- MTV to Genius. Like. I saw my man Shahendra go to Rock Nation, and I worked at Life and Times with Shahendra. Like I've seen all these things happen. I've seen Kaz come up, and we now Kaz works with WWE Creative, and it's like this small network of people who understood how the internet worked and how to use it to their advantage. And Joe became one of those people who learned that at a certain point, and I think I think a lot of it is is based on reality television. At a certain point, it's not about your talent anymore. It's about your brand. Yeah, how strong is the brand? And the brand is brolic, to steal a line from the Bodega Boys. And it's like a lot of these guys have learned how to evolve, and they learned how to figure out their brand. And Joe, like I remember, like I was cool with Tahiri at one point, and I watched her brand, and I watched her role with Joe. It's weird, like like I've been around certain people, but I just never been me and Joe. Just whatever, just didn't happen. But he, Joe, figured it out. M has not. M is still relying on what got him over fifteen years ago. 20 years ago. And things done changed. And sadly, Eminem's turned into KRS-One. And I love KRS-One. It's just no relevancy. Like, but it, generations can't relate. Yeah, it's, but, it, but the thing about KRS-One is at least KRS-One can come into a room. And whether you believe or not, he speaks like he's in the pulpit. And then you listen to what he's talking about. You've never really heard Eminem really talk about anything. Not, not in a long time. When's the last time Eminem had an interview? No, he's a hermit, right? Like, for all purposes. Like, Gotta and, take advantage, man. Yeah, like, yeah. and he has enough money, he'll be fine. But what happens when it's not about money? And I think that's the point where we're at now. Yeah. So dropping yeah. surprise albums, dissing someone, he's just looking for something that's not, he can't fulfill with money. And that's competition. That's diss tracks. That's that old, he wants that old feeling. He wants that old thing back. And he can't get it. Without the help of others, or attacking, nope. others, or, or or getting that from someone else, and people are gonna smarten up and not feed him those things. True, sure, indeed. So okay, it's crazy. Um, well, yes, that that was the budding Eminem portion of the podcast. Um, oh, I, I will save this for next week. But you, you've been in a couple of odd exchanges on Twitter. And they keep pulling you into these hip hop conversations, Dre. I know, you, man. I was gonna talk. I was gonna talk about Justin Davis, who we both follow on Twitter, and people may know him. And uh, he, he has a different perception on many things. And he said today's rappers are greater than all the '90s rappers. That's just crazy. But that conversation will take forever. So we'll discuss that next week. One thing before we coast into this wrestling portion of the show is you don't like Ether. No. What? What? How? How do you even come to that hot take, Dre? This not a hot take. This is this this that take would have been hot if I said it when Ether came out. I've never been a fan of Ether. <laughs> so you just think just Jay Z washed Nas in that whole whole yeah, battle, I, and I'm really, a whole fan. I thought Jay won, but man, I thought okay. I, I may have talked. I've talked about this on other shows before. Um, and I've never been afraid to say it. I thought Ether, the Ron Browse beat was whack. I'll go to my grave with that one. I thought Nas, 
really hit his stride on the third verse. First two verses weren't really that tough. More importantly, I know that rap beef is one of these things where, you know, you, you snap on somebody and you try to say things that diss them. But when somebody comes at you with facts and you can come and you come back with a line that says, with whiskers like a rat compared to beans or whack, which is a complete fucking fallacy. Yeah, he's not, not whack compared to beans. You're not really winning the battle. Or, or Gazy and Cockafella Records want to beef. That's and hilarious, that's, though. I'm just, but overall, like, I just never, like, the, 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 like, it was more significant because Nas said something back. You called him Hawaiian but, Sophie. Yeah, but everybody knows about Jay Wynn. Like, like, I'm not saying it's horrible. As a song, it wasn't good. And somebody, like, I, you know, I argue with Stat Guy, Greg, and a few other people. And it, I, the origin of this is, like, Dart Adams and Fonte dragged me into this conversation. Because Dart was just like, you know, can we talk about Ether wasn't really that good? And then Fonte was like, can we talk about it? And he, he, he hit me with the Denzel hands. And I was like, all right, yes. <laughs> Ether is not a good song. I don't care what anybody says. This is my opinion. As a song, I, I haven't listened to Ether in years. I'll listen to TakeOver, like, tomorrow. Because the beat was banging. That ether beat wasn't bad. Like, uh, well, no, it, it's aged terribly. But it wasn't good even when I first heard it. Ooh. The Heart like, Pump Project Kool-Aid, you sweet. Nah, nah, that beat. Oh, no. Trey, that's, I got to listen to that after this podcast. Like, but I, I feel you're misguided. Like, No, man, I'm not misguided. Like, Ether has just never been a top shelf diss song to me. It was one of those things where it was the, the impact was really that Nas responded because if everybody remembers, Nas was at a low point in his career at this time. Com- like commercially, no, because Nas was pretty popular. But in, in terms of respect, people weren't really fucking with Nas. Uchi Wally and all that shit. Like hip hop heads were like backing off of Nas. So when Nas came back on Jay-Z, who delivered a venomous blow with TakeOver to a Kanye West sample of The Doors, which was completely vicious for what would end up being one of Jay's greatest albums, The Blueprint, Nobody really thought Nas would come back. The fact that Nas responded, I think, raised a lot more eyebrows than anything else. And then, because nobody's really even heard Nas battle. No, so Nas that was take, out of nowhere. Yeah, so for Nas to take aim at Jay, like, go back, like, really go back and listen to this song. The third verse was, was pretty dope. Because, but the first two verses, the, the, the flow was a little choppy. Like, I, as a song, I've never been a fan. Uh, the impact was more special to me than the song. Because Jay didn't expect it. Jay, Jay came back with Super Ugly and made him look like a fool. Like, Jay should have never said anything back. Yeah, that was... But he did. Oof. Super, Super Ugly was a bad diss. It was, it was worse than either by a country mile. What? But, no, I like Super Ugly. It was so disrespectful. And, and, but it just, it just wasn't good. Like, again, it, who listened to Super Ugly in 2018? Like, my favorite diss song is No Vaseline. Because Ice Cube took down an entire crew with a brutal barrage of rhymes. Second Round Knockout was also one of my favorite songs. Because the beat was bumping and Cannabis was giving it to LL. Because no, like, people are like, who is this guy just destroying LL Cool J? For the record, I still think Cannabis won that. I think it was a popularity contest and people sided with LL because he came back with Rip the Jacker, whatever. Cannabis <laughs> won that battle. I don't give a fuck what y'all say. But Ether, man, I bet. I can't like I turn on today and I'm like, man, what is it's 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 not a good song. It's not a good song. There's a few bars in there. I'm just I'm not a fan of the song. Damn. Sorry. Damn. That's Fuego take today by Andres. It's not a it, it, Fuego it, it, take. I, 
just if I just came up with it. I've been saying this since was it seventeen years? I've been saying that I Ethan was like, not that dope. I feel like none of us on this show knew this take. So it, it's just as hot today as it was seventeen years ago. Hey, look, look, my mixes are gonna be in samples. Like there's, there's so many people <laughs> I'm like, what? But I always tell them I'm like, what are the best bars from Ether? Because you can go back to Takeover, you will immediately pick out the best bars to Takeover. But with yeah. Ether, you'll be like, ah, uh, and then you'll say it, and it won't sound good when you say it. Because when you say <laughs> those bars, Ether, you'll be like, mm, that didn't really sound good coming out my. But when Jay, whoo, I know why I paid Dog Searchlight Publishing. Woo! Yeah, that was dirty. That was, that was, that was dirty. Yeah, and, there was, and he, there's so and many facts. Only, it wasn't just Nas, it was Prodigy that got that took the L2. Yeah. Yo. Yeah. With a ballet, Jay, summer jam screen. Yeah. It's all bad. But even before this, just the song itself. Like, this was the time, there were no rap blogs. It was, this. you had to find this on a mixtape. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, on a radio show. You went to Hot 97. Angie Ma broke that record. Yeah. But I'm in Vegas at the time, so it was like, I had to get it from somebody else who played for me over the phone. And then I was like, oh, okay. Then I got the, then I got it sent to me. Um, it was on Hip Hop Site, before I started working for Hip Hop Site, and I listened to it, and I was like, this is cool. And I remember my boy came up, one of my boys came to my house to play this for me. There's only two songs, <laughs> that, two of my friends on this one. My friend came to my house, it was, it was this and Hit Him Up. They came to my house, it was like, I got you now, because like, I was a Biggie fan. And Hit Him Up came out, and I was like, this is cool. And they were like, this is the word. I was like, yeah, yeah. It's, it, I, I mean, Hit Him Up, yeah. Great song. Ether came out, and it, like, I remember standing at my door, and I was like, I was like, y'all can't come here. They were like, why? I was like, cause y'all just bury Jay Z. Are you nuts? Like Jay is gonna win this in the long run, so don't trip. Like Ether's <laughs> just like, that's and that that's my take, and I'm sticking to it. it you all can't right, change man. my mind. I've had this for two decades. You can't change my mind. <laughs> that's that's all right. I just needed it to be known. I wanted the people to hear this hot take. Um, all right, so let's get into pro wrestling because there's a ton of pro wrestling um, to talk about. So we have first and foremost, we're not gonna spend too much time on it, but Real quick, PWI has released their top, what is it, 500 wrestlers um, and top 100 women. We'll just take a quick look at the top 10 and see. And we'll see if you disagree where I disagree. So number one, Kenny Omega. I'm good with that. Uh, number two, AJ Styles. Just sneaky number two. I'm good with that. Number three, Okada. I'm not. I, I'm not sure if this is Okada's hottest year. Okay, if you're gonna say that, then you can't say you can't say the same thing about AJ. AJ AJ's been champ all year. He's yeah. A, oh, I mean, I guess yeah, his match. His match. Like, like, I'm fine with AJ being there. I'm totally fine, and I'm totally fine with Okada being there because he's the other half of Kenny Omega's greatest matches. Yeah. Also, Okada had a great match with Tanahashi, Minoru Suzuki, like, and the list goes on and on. Okada's had a pretty good year. Even though he's not champion anymore, his matches don't suck. No, they don't suck. Right? No, I mean, you're on this list. Well, I can't say that. But some people on this, miss, on this list, matches suck. But he definitely shouldn't. And I don't want to drop him far. We'll get to the guy who I think should have been ahead of him in a second. Um, number four, Brock Lesnar. Shouldn't be, like... He shouldn't be ranked. He doesn't have enough service time to be ranked. Well, so so here's the question, and this is like, I don't know if we'll get too deep into this this whole uh, factions argument that blew up on Twitter about the Shield being number one on WWE's factions list. What is the criteria for the PWI? 
If it's strictly in ring, absolutely not. Brock Lesnar should not be there. If it's title reign, okay, well then maybe you have a, you have an argument because Brock Lesnar's been the unbeatable champ. It's the criteria, but I to me there's I don't see any way that Brock Lesnar should be on this list because his in ring work has been pretty trash. His outer ring work wasn't. Champ, but, yeah, his outer ring work wasn't anything to really get hype over either. Paul Heyman deserves yeah. a spot if anything. Right. So so it's like. The criteria is always the thing that concerns me with, with these lists. I can see an argument, like with the, with the Shield thing, I can see an argument. I may not agree with it, but I can see an argument. Brock Lesnar, I don't really see much of anything unless you're just saying who's longest reigning champs. Yeah. But even then. That, that's like, just well, booking. Like, yeah. you can't give someone a spot because of booking. Because then it could be like, well, then why is it Carmella number one? So it's like, yeah, yeah Brock, Brock shouldn't be there. So then we have Seth Rollins, who I think should have been ahead of Okada. Kata could be four. Seth should have been three. Because Seth had one hell of a run. Mania season on. I don't think Seth has been better than Okada. But it's very close. Close. Braun Strowman at six. See, again. It's They've like, what cooled is, what off Braun Strowman. Well, they turned him heel. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, they, but, 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 this PW, but this PWI, I'm sure it was done before Braun turned heel. So, but I mean, they've been Braun, cooling him off since he won that stupid ass trophy in, I don't know, wherever they were, India or something. Greatest Royal assume, Rumble. I'm going to assume that this list is from May to May. Uh, or maybe June to June when they came up with this list. Because putting a re- list of 500 wrestlers takes a few weeks. Yeah. So I'm going to say it was June to June. From June to June, Braun was a very dominant force. Aside from losing from 1F5 to Brock Lesnar, which was terrible booking, um, Braun deserves a spot on this list. I'm just not sure where. Who's after that? Roman Reigns. He's not going anywhere on this list. As much as we don't like him, the guy stays in the main event scene. Yeah. He doesn't really have bad matches. He doesn't. Okay. He could actually wrestle. Um, yeah, so I, 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 don't, I, I don't mind that. Now, is he better in the next two names? Probably not. But, I, again, he dropped from last year number four to number seven. So I feel that's fair. He dropped down a little bit. Cool. Um, number eight, Cody Rhodes. See, what's the criteria? <sighs> in ring, we know how I feel about Cody Rhodes. He doesn't yeah, do out, it for me. Out, out of, of ring, ring he is incredible. He Probably is number one. an incredible business. All the props I give to Triple H for what he does at NXT and 205 Live and everything, you're like, you're giving too much credit to Triple H. Cool. I am not going to stop giving credit to Triple H. I think Cody is his equivalent as a businessman, and now as a as a matchmaker, as a promoter, as someone who, if all honesty, Ring of Honor is stale as fuck right now. If they handed the reins to Cody, I wouldn't be mad. Well, he's a yeah, smart I mean, guy. Like I, I can't knock him. And character wise, I've never doubted his ability to buy into a character and get that character over. Never. I mean, yeah. Motherfuckers sold Stardust. Yeah, like I, I, I've right. ne- I never that family. Like you can give them the worst gimmick. They put Dusty in polka dots, and they'll get it over. So that I'll never doubt that. So, so look, I'm I'm not mad at Cody being where he's at on this list. Like if you take all things considered, yes, his in ring work is not up to par with the rest of them. Is it better than Brock Lesnar? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but everyone is. So it's like. 
Yeah, so it's like it's the criteria. I think it's a mixture of like impact versus booking versus you know influence. Like Cody, what Cody's accomplished in the past calendar year, it's I mean it's unfathomable. There's not too many guys who can really go the indie circuit. Like it wasn't like Cody was a top guy. He asked for his release, and then made a wish list of people he wanted to wrestle, and then became and then just delivered one of the most important shows in independent wrestling history. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, but no. The fact that Fight TV had like a million, like oh, I forgot what the number was. It was something ridiculous. So many people tuned into All In and paid for this shit, and yeah. they sold out a building. This was unfathomable a year ago. And I had like Jonathan Snowden was on Twitter was like, ah, it's the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega. No, they sold that shit out before a match was even announced. But it could never have happened without Kobe. No, he never. he definitely had the vision on that. Um, but the Young Bucks too, and. The entire thing was built off of a YouTube platform. Like, all the feuds yeah, like and everything it, was built on a YouTube platform. Yeah, credit to the Young Bucks, but the, the Young Bucks weren't the driving force. Like, it was Cody and the Young Bucks, yes. But it, if if there was no Cody, the Young Bucks wouldn't have done this. No. It was, it, this is this, the Cody brainchild. This, this, yeah. this was un, unbelievable. It's a perfect storm. Yeah. Um, so, Cody at eight, that's cool. His impact, I can justify in putting him on the list. If You're taking everything as a whole. Um, Naito at nine. I like this. Because I yeah. feel like Naito could have been on last year. He wasn't. Um, he's had that slow climb. I, he's a real main event caliber guy, even though he lost the belt, Wrestle Kingdom. But he's cemented himself as one of the top guys in New Japan. So it's good. And then The Miz comes in at 10 again. The Miz. Ah. This wasn't the Miz's so, hottest year. Once again, last year I thought the Miz was really good. Um, this year he just took a lot of time off. He was filming movies, and then Maurice got pregnant, and I didn't really like the whole B team thing um, when they were the Miztourage. That could have been better. I always like him better with Maurice, and I think at ten a couple other wrestlers like I, Samoa Joe was injured a little bit, but he could have been on the list. Um, There's one glaring omission from the top ten. Larry? Mm-hmm. Uh, not in WWE, then. Oh, yeah. It's in WWE. Well, actually, it's in NXT. And NXT, Tommaso Ciampa. Exactly. Should be on the list. That's correct. He, arguably, he's the wrestler of the year. He's the heel of the year. That's for goddamn sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, I guess because you can't go past Kenny too much. But still, it's he's damn near close. I mean, he's having an excellent... Like, Ciampa, if you go June to June, and his, since he came back from the injury, and him headlining the takeovers, like, yeah, he crushes the Miz. And his in-ring work is really good. His promos are great. Um, and he draws heat by walking out with no music. The they, they just gave him music. Theme song. Yeah, I know. But I'm saying before, like, th- this entire time, he had been walking out to booze. Booze, which is incredible. Unbe- unbelievable. Should have been on the list. Not yeah, the list. That is true. Um... So that's the quick top 10. Obviously, a couple people... Brock Lesnar should have been pushed down a long way. So he should be disqualified from conversation. Um, real quick, women. We have Oscar at number one. Charlotte Flair at two. Alexa Bliss at three. Sasha Banks at four. Bailey at five. Uh, Io Shahari at six. New NXT signee. People will get used to her in a second. Natalia at seven. Sienna at eight. Naomi at nine. Kari Sane at ten. Uh, I think Kyrie St. Jumps, jumps Naomi and Natalia. Io Shahari definitely had a good run. 
We'll see what she does in WWE. Um, Bailey, I think, is way too high on this list. I didn't think Bailey did much of anything this year. Um, I thought it was failed attempts to get Bailey over. And Asuka at number one is interesting because you don't feel Asuka had a great year at all. You feel they botched Asuka completely. Well, if we go again, if we go from June to June, Asuka was still NXT champ last June. Um, and then she won the Royal Rumble. So that first half was great. The second half has been a disaster. Like yeah. it's been, and she didn't lose to Carmella if this is June to June, or she might have barely lost to Carmella. Yeah, she well, she lost to Charlotte, and then yeah, so she would have lost to if it was June to June or July to July, she probably had just lost to Carmella. But still, like all things considered, like Asuka is now becoming the biggest botch job in recent memory in the WWE. They have fumbled this one horribly. She's the number one wrestler on PWI, and now she's. She's nothing. No, like, she's horrible. She's holding Charlotte back and holding um, Becky Lynch back as they squabble. It's dumb. It's dumb. Anyway. So that that's crazy. Um, moving forward after that, we're going to talk best factions, but we'll talk that next week. Um, even though the list came out this week, that's a long conversation that we kind of had out on Twitter a little bit. So we need more time next week. But The Shield shouldn't be number one. I'll say that now. No retort from you. Going on uh, this week, SmackDown Raw recap. Braun, heel turn. Failure in my eyes. Uh, You agree? Kevin Owens really didn't quit. Somehow he came back, attacked Lashley, and helped Braun, who just beat his ass for three months. Like, Like, the same thing that's happening to the women is now happening to the men. To get somebody over, it's going to be at everybody else's expense. Correct. Ronda, Ronda's rise is not entirely her fault. I still want to write this, this column. It's not her fault, but her ascent has held back everything else. And not just her. Because now you have like Carmella and Alexa Bliss had titles. Like, what the fuck is going on in the main roster? Like, it's really stupid. Now, you know, Charlotte's the champion. Um, if anybody watches the, what's that, what culture... YouTube page, which is great. They have a great thing where it points out that a blonde has been in a title match in for the women every year. And there's not been a match without a blonde in it for like four years. Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. It's an incredible stat. But it's like, but now you look at the men, it's like they had to turn Braun heel to get Roman over with the shield. But trying to make sense out of this, it's like, well, why are we doing this again? Now, some people will say Braun was naturally heel. While I agree, him teaming up with fucking Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre makes no sense to me. None. And furthermore, the whole Kevin Owens coming back and then helping jump the shield when Braun just murdered you less than a month ago, it defies all wrestling logic. Everything at the expense to get certain people over. It defies the, it defies creative logic, and it doesn't make sense, and I hate it. <laughs> I love that you just ended that emphatically. And I no, hate I, it. I really do, man. It's like... I. Man, people think I hate the WWE. I, I watch the shit religiously every week, and there's some things that I really like. And I'm not even mad at the Shield reuniting. I just, the, some of the logic just blows me away. Like, the AJ Styles, Samoa Joe stuff, I love. Like, I think I think it's been great. Hopefully it doesn't get too crazy, because now it feels like every week this whole Wendy thing is getting out of control. But I like where they're going with this. But some things, like this Braun Strowman heel turn, the way that it happened was just, it was stupid. It's dumb to me. And he's going to lose that money in the bank. Ooh. I mean, that money in the bank, hell in a cell. He's going to lose cash again. I don't so think, I'm about to I say, that, that's his cash in. 
Yeah, it, Dax is cashing because he's already turned in the briefcase. His cashing is at Hell in the Cell, in a Hell in the Cell match now. They're not going to take the, the title off of Roman that quick. I don't see that happening. Oh, that's so horrible. Roman uh. might be winning clean over a heel Braun Strowman, which for people like who are stupid, it'll be easier to digest because now you don't like Braun anymore because he's a heel. But for those of us who are smarter than that and look at Braun, it's like he's still the same fucking guy. He's just got a weird heel turn. It doesn't make any sense. Braun's no. still the same guy. Oh, I hate that Braun needs help all of a sudden to beat up Roman Reigns. It's, it's dumb. He's like, never needed say, help before. They say, okay, well, it's the shield, right? It's the shield. But Braun's usually going at things by himself. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, he definitely doesn't need every heel in the company to beat up the shield. No. Um, Brie Bella came back, almost killed herself twice. Oh, man. She, she should never people, like, try people that got on my case. People got on my case about if Ronda Rousey and Abella headlines evolution, it's at the detriment of the entire women's division. People were like, on my head. Like, how dare you? I can't believe. That's Who's true. Like, that's, like, and that's a slight to true. Ronda Rousey, though, because she is already the better wrestler. But the point, the fact of the matter is, these women in the women's evolution have worked really hard to get to where they are. And to see, like, the Bellas, yeah, okay, they're whatever. If you want to call them legends or Hall of Famers, so what? I don't want to see them in the ring. They're not good wrestlers. They just still just push. Not. They still bring in numbers because of Total Divas and Total Bellas and all that stupid shit. I get it from a marketing perspective, not from an in-ring perspective. No. I pass. Um, Shield versus everybody we touched on. Uh, Daniel Bryan versus Cien Almas again. I like their matches. They got to stop. I do, but this is they're doing it for nothing, which is really bothering me. Like this yeah. feels like this somehow is Almas paper. is like the Miz is flunky. Yeah, I, I, that's what I don't like about it. It's just like, oh, let's have a match and whatever. And, yeah. I, and I really feel like a lot of people will also say like, oh, they're bringing around Daniel Bryan slow. But now I'm getting to the point where, come on, man, it's too slow. Like, yeah, they're, like, they're trying to stretch it to Mania. I'm telling you. Every little thing you can put in, every little obstacle, they're stretching it out. Survivor Series, these two will be on separate teams. Then you go to Royal Rumble, they'll be in the Rumble. Someone will eliminate the other person. Then we get to Mania. This ain't going to WrestleMania. This is not going to WrestleMania. It can't. There's not enough juice in this feud to go to WrestleMania. Not the way they're doing it right now. You got months of pay-per-views to try to have them involved in. This should wrap up by Survivor. I mean... Probably Royal Rumble at the latest. It should it shouldn't go past that. Hopefully. We shall see though. Um then we have oh shit. That's actually all we have all in to talk about. Um, Man, I, I I enjoyed the shit out of this show. Oh, it's incredible, right? Uh we didn't really know how to preview it though. Which was weird. No, I mean because Because there was no like I guess we could have watched being the elite. But I didn't know that was like the immediate tie-in to the storylines, which it ended up being. A lot of the storylines on this were cultivated and being the elite. But the matches were really good. Um, let's go down the list real quick. SoCal Uncensored versus the Briscoes. Good finish. Yeah. That was a really good finish. Good finish. Um, the match. I mean, it was a good Briscoes match. I never, I'm always entertained by the Briscoes. Like they they have their style, they have their spots. I don't I don't mind at all. Um, Nineteen man battle royal. This was kind of the the bathroom break section, but I did like Flip Gordon randomly showing up. Well, yeah, I mean it, they've been pushing this narrative about Flip being all in for all these months, and you know he ended up coming in disguise. 
I almost forgot when Bully Ray went, I was like, oh, fuck. And then Flip came in and threw him out. I was like, yes, thank you, God. <laughs> I don't want like, Bully, like, Bully Ray and ROH sucks. Yeah. I, I don't enjoy watching him do this terrible old man heel gimmick. I don't like it at all. No, nah, and then um, Matt Cross versus Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Yeah, this was a weird match that kicked off the show, and I don't even think it was formally announced. I remember like, my feed had cut out. I watched it live on Fight TV. Matt Cross was, was announced earlier that day. Um, I don't know where Friedman came from. Yeah, it just, it just came out of nowhere. But it, the match was cool. Yeah, it was, it was a, a showcase match kind of for Matt. Um, then we have Christopher Daniels versus Stephen Amell. Yeah, all right. Like, it is what it is. It, it's Cody's little bit of WWE still in him. And uh, yeah. it was all right, though. Stephen Amell actually worked the real match. Yeah, I mean, you know, Amell and Cody have history. So why not? And Cody's on Arrow. They were shooting Arrow. Like, I've been talking to Cody's manager, and they've been shooting Arrow for, like, the past few months. Um, so, yeah, I get it. Amell is a real – he really likes wrestling. So yeah. he wanted to do it. Why not? And he wrestled the real match. I, I give him props for that. Um, the women's match, which was really good. Really, really good. Tessa Blanchard uh, – defeated let's see no tessa defeated chelsea green madison rain and Britt baker yeah i thought it was good the really good what there was a lot there was of a lot of good botches. spots oh yeah there, were there was botches. a lot of box spots too so yeah. uh, i thought that was a good match for what it was tessa just looked like a real stud to match she is um, uh the fact that she's not on that top 10 list is crazy she'll be on there next year yeah, I mean, she have, should have a strong run, but I mean, it was a Tesla showcase. I mean, everybody else, I'm not, Chelsea Green looked really good too. Um, but yeah, there were some parts of the match that were just really disjointed, but whatever. It was, I mean, it was a good, it was a fun match. I like, like the crazy, thing. like, bride wedding thing. That was cool. Yeah. Um, we have Cody with Brandy, Diamond Dallas Page, Glacier, and Tommy Dreamer, randomly, versus Nick Aldis with Jeff Jarrett, Samuel Shaw. Sean Davari and Tim Storm. I should have been there, according to <laughs> the group chat, who said I should have been in, t- in Nick Aldis's corner, opposing Cody Rhodes. But uh, the match was okay. It, in the ring, it didn't do much for me. It was a little long in the tooth. But the end was the payoff, and you know, a little color added to it. It was cool. You, you got that old school vibe, and I understand what the title means for that family. Having him hold the title that his father once held in Dusty's legacy, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, no, I, like again, the match was the match was okay. Um, it was just funny the whole you know for him to draw some color. It took a minute. It had DDP run down and do a diamond cutter and yeah, the <laughs> match itself, yeah, the match was what it was. So you're um, not allowed to blade in the WWE anymore. Like the guy don't got a lot of practice. Yeah, so it's a it was a good sentimental moment. How about that? Um, Hangman Page versus Joey Janela. Ooh, this match was fun. I really like Hangman Page, man. Hangman Page gets my most improved award if we had to throw out awards today. Yeah, dude. Okay, Hangman Page was almost intolerable. Like, I I didn't like Page when he was in ROH. What was it, part of the kingdom at one time? Um, And I just, I didn't like him. And then he became, he joined the Bullet Club. I remember the day he joined the Bullet Club, I was like, really, him? Yeah. I thought he was going to be the jobber of the Bullet Club. Yeah, but then... Like his G one run, like these these brutal like the six man matches he gets himself involved in, the spots that he chooses, he's become really fucking good. And 
this match with Janela, like, you know, the whole story about Paige just killing Joey's, um, was great. I mean, this, I, dude, this was a great, and then, like, the whole spot with Penelope was great. I was about like, to say, Penelope, Penelope got her, her spots in. Yeah, like, this was a, dog, I, again, not like a five-star match, but I had a lot of fun watching this match. These, these two tried to kill each other. Yeah, I, I thought it was really fun. Um, like, the, the powerbomb off the ramp? Oh, my God. Like, he just. <laughs> Janela's a nut. Like that guy, he's crazy. I need to watch. I haven't watched enough of his stuff, but the stuff that I have watched, like PWG, he's crazy. I thought he was a comedy <laughs> dude. though. He actually brought it. Nah, man. He he tries to kill himself. He, I mean, he does some comedies, but he tries to kill himself. Then we have to talk about the Joey Ryan and the penises. I was That's about to say there was a parade of peni. Is that is that penis in plural? Peni. There was a parade of peni. It, that was that was crazy, but it's it, it's a, again it's a fun show. It's not something I took seriously. Like there was something like I can't believe this shit. Yeah, I can't. But it's Joey Ryan. If you watch Joey Ryan, you know what you're gonna get. This yeah, is a comedy. Yeah. The guy's finisher is like penis power. Like I don't know that she's crazy. I, I didn't mind. It was funny. Yeah, it was it was fine. It was a little long. Like that whole ending with that was long. It took away from the main thing that we will get to at the end, but. I, I, I like the match between uh, Paige and Janelle. I thought it was yeah. great. Uh, Jay Lethal versus Flip Gordon. <sighs> it okay. didn't do anything for me. Jay, Jay Lethal has somehow hit the reverse button over the past two years. And I thought maybe getting the title back. You know what? He's not, not the same guy without Truth Martini. He's not the same guy as a babyface. Um, more importantly, like I enjoyed the return of Black Machismo. I, I've always been a fan of, of Jay Lethal when he did Black Machismo and he mocked Flair in, in uh, TNA. But the, I'm, I'm not a fan of Flip Gordon. So these two together <laughs> just, just didn't do it for me. Like I was just like, this match is going on too long. Why was Brandy they, Rhodes there? Why was Brandy there? It's like she was playing the Elizabeth part. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I mean, it, the match should have been a lot shorter. I'm just, I'm not a real big fan of Flip. Um, and Jay's just been, he's, I don't want to say he's been coasting, but he needs an edge to his character. And I like him more as a heel. Definitely. Um, Omega versus Pentagon Jr. I mean, this was great. This great was, match. Uh, great, I guess, shocking turn at the end, right? Where, where yeah, we I didn't get, expect Jericho to be there. No. And kind of re- revitalizing the feud with Kenny. And I'll see you on the cruise. And they like Jericho plug the cute cruise and try to get yeah. some more, you know, ticket sales and all that stuff. Um, crazy man Jericho is always cool. Yeah, yeah. I would I would like Good to match go on the though, cruise. by the way. I would like I would like to go on the cruise. It was like me and the homies. If like all you guys but like with a bunch of like wrestling nerds, I'm good. I could yeah. I don't think I could tolerate it for that. I've never been on a cruise, so I don't I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely scared of being seasick, so no, nah, it's nothing. I'll, I'll be more worried about the wrestling nerds and like, like, I mean, look, I'm a wrestling nerd, but it's a little bit different when you're with those really, like, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> People are just like, man, what the fuck? They stink. They don't shower. Like, yeah. I've been, like the PWG shows. There's like a group of fans. You be like, dog, did you shower? Like, they had a note on the message board. Like, I think the second bowl that me and Marcus had went to, they had a note on the message board. So I was looking it up, and they were like, everybody, please shower. <laughs> and we gotta tell people to shower in, in the gym, like the. Well, there was no air conditioning. They, no, she get real musty never, real quick. Yeah, the, the air conditioning never worked in that building, so it was like when you say that to people, it's like, oh come on, like some wrestling fans can be really obnoxious. So like the cruise is great in theory, but I would want no parts of it. Plus, it's like a bunch of hard rock acts. And I'm like, ah, I'm good. So anyway. Yeah. Um, 
Okada versus Skrull. This was too long, but I liked it. Way too long, really good. And it was really a showcase kind of for Okada. I mean, it put Skrull on that level, though, and Skrull feels big time. It's only a matter of time before one of these promotions makes him their guy. Uh, it should be ROH. Yeah, the only problem with Skrull, and it's, it's a minor problem, is that he's not necessarily the same guy that, like, when I first saw Skrull in PWG with Zack Sabre Jr., I was like, these two guys are the shit. And lately, he hasn't necessarily been the same guy. Like, this match with Okada was good, but it just feels like... He's more character a, than wrestler now? Yeah, there's almost a, a little over-reliance on the character stuff. Like, the finger snap is great. I always love it. But there's certain spots in there where he's, like, goofing off, and I'm like, man, I want him to get real serious. I want the, there to be more of an edge to Marty Skrull. Yeah. So I'm waiting for that to happen. Um, yeah, he got it when, you know, he flies on his own. Maybe we'll get that edge back Uh I just need a Marty Skrull Bruiserweight match, like at a on a big platform. Just give me that. Just sometime in life, no rush. But I just need that. Um, and then we had the Golden Elite versus Mysterio, Phoenix, and Bandido. Short match. Um, they kind of got all their spots in though. They hit that shit quick. Man, and this Mysterio and the Wolverine stuff is dope. Yeah, like this match was a sprint. It sucks that they didn't have enough time because they could have shaved some time off some of the other matches. They hit it like right at the buzzer. You can hear the referee in the match like, it's time to go home, it's time to go home. Like he's telling them like, hurry the fuck up. But there were some great spots in this match. I wish it was a little longer, but it, it was fine. Like again, this was a fun show. It didn't really have no bearings on a bunch of major storylines. You know, we had some angles that were cut in here and there. But like once again, I enjoyed the shit out of the show. Yeah, it was very fun, man. Um, and... Hopefully they do it again. I hope they do do it again, and I'd like to go. Now that all of the wrestling is in the rearview mirror, it's time to talk a little bit of boxing. Huge boxing fight this weekend. Amir, or not Amir Khan, even though Amir Khan did sign on for a boxing fight, the zone, right? Mm, yeah. It's just snapping people up over there, hard at work. Uh, no, we have Danny Garcia versus Sean Porter this week. And... Yeah. My thought hasn't changed. Like, we, we, we've waited, we've waited, we've waited, we've come down. It's the fight week, and I still think Danny Garcia gets washed by Sean Porter. And, and I say washed, because I mean washed. I don't think Gar Garcia holds up to that flurry and that pressure. I mean, that's my thing. The only way Danny wins this fight is if he uses his jab um, to create distance. And I think, you know, it's going to be hard for him to get Sean Porter out of his chest for 12 rounds. So... I, pay, I said Sean Porter from the beginning, and I said that like three years ago, and it hasn't changed. I think Porter's aggression, um, and Danny mixed with Danny Garcia being a notoriously slow starter um, who doesn't really step on the gas until he's challenged. So maybe Sean could bring it out of Danny, but I don't think so. So I'm picking Sean Porter by decision here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be a decision, so let me do say that. I don't think he's knocking him out. I wouldn't be surprised if he knocked him out, but I, I don't think so. Um it have to be more of a referee stoppage with a flurry of punches. But I don't expect the scorecards necessarily to be close. Um, Garcia, to me, it's like, you know, a guy lets off the gas like Thurman. Or, you know, he, he can go and maybe tries to make it ugly like Kel Brook did against um, against Porter. But I, I don't see Porter falling for that now. He, he looks a little bit more fluid, too, um, in his game recently. So I expect Sean to take this fight, and we'll see. We'll see if uh, Errol Spence is next or Thurman or 
We'll see where that goes, but I think, and by the way, Keith Thurman should want his belt back, but I don't know if he cares that much. Um, it's Sean Porter's time, and it'll be nice to see who steps up after to take the challenge. I wouldn't be surprised to see Errol Spence take that fight, you know, in the coming year. Yep. Um, MMA, UFC, it feels like this pay-per-view is being overlooked. Let what, me just say Aaron Woodley's in it? Is that, is that what it is? I mean, they just did Woodley. <laughs> Dirty, right? One, it's the Darren Till show. Like, let's, let's, let's be honest. Right. The guy's a betting favorite. He's on everything. It's the Darren Till show. And beyond that, they're running McGregor promos already on their YouTube channel. There's a full-ass series devoted to McGregor on their YouTube. And everything's Crazy. revolving and then, and like, around that, that pay-per-view. And Woodley's just like, thanks, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Like, 228 is actually a really good stacked card. There's a lot of good fights on 228. But it's like, yeah, everything about this is indicative of the UFC. Darren Till being, like, the draw instead of Tyron Woodley, who's been your champion now for over a year. And then it's like, I mean, you got the Shevchenko fight with Nikki Batano. Like, Alzheimer Sterling's fighting Cody Stammen. Like, there's some good fights on this card. Uh, Carolina Kevokiewicz and uh, Jessica Andrade. Like, this is a good card. And the UFC is just like... Really good. Eh, we'll move on. I, I really I really like what they're doing um now that you mention it with Aljamain Sterling. They kinda like reeled him back to build that confidence back up and now he's working himself back up. Cause when they yeah. when he went to the top and he had those couple of losses, you know, some by decisions that he thought he may have won. But uh like he, he started trying to do like karate striking or throwing a million kicks. He's just kinda getting back to the basics. Wrestling yeah. people and being a fucking bowling instructor—that's what he does. Yeah. Like, dude, this card: Jimmy Rivera versus John Dawson is on this card, which is a Carlos pay-per-view Ta- caliber match. Yeah. Like Carlos Esparza and Tatiana Suarez. Like this, like Jim Miller and Diego Sanchez for the old heads. Like you get to watch them fight. This well, if you have fight card. pass. Well, yeah, if you have fight pass. Oh, <laughs> um, that's true. I forgot. But like, this is this is a good card. So let's talk yeah. about it. All right. Um, you know what? We'll start Rivera, John Dotson. With, for predictions. Um, this is a tough-ass fight to pick. I'm going to go with Jimmy Rivera, though. And I like John Dodson. But uh, I, I think Rivera bounces back. I'm picking Dodson here. Dodson never loses wide decisions. He's always in the fight. I don't know if Jimmy Rivera can deal with his speed. That's my biggest concern. But I, I saw him deal with Thomas Almeida. Thomas Almeida's not John Dodson. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, like John Dustin, he's hard to take down. Um, and again, when he loses fights, he loses very narrow decisions against really good strikers, like Marlon Moraes, for instance. Um, you he's know, even the king the, of losing split decisions. Yeah, he loses very close decisions. But I kind of think that um, Dustin's going to pull this one out. I think he's just going to have to strike Rivera, and I think Rivera's going. If Rivera's able to put him on his back, which he, he can do, it'll be interesting to see if he can keep him there. But I'm picking John Dustin by decision. All right, so we're going opposites in that fight. Aljamain Sterling um, versus Cody Stemmen. Uh, Al- Aljo wins this, right? I'm taking yeah, Aljo. Yeah, like Cody Stemmen is not like a great striker. Like Aljo got knocked out by no, Marlon Murray. Great Marais. record. Yeah, great record. Mm, a little inflated. The Caraway yeah, win was big. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was big and surprising. But I, I'm saying, I'm looking at this and I'm just saying, like, Aljo's, he's a much better grappler. When, when Aljo gets you on the ground, so he's grappling... He's tough to beat. So yeah, I'm picking out for you. It's a whole different world. Uh, Carla Esparza versus Tatiana Suarez. 
I'm picking Suarez. I, I think Suarez is going to be a champion in that division. Um, yeah, I know she good. doesn't have a lot of experience. She's like still kind of fresh off the Ultimate Fighter, and all like her grappling level and her size for that division is uncanny. She could be the Khabib of that division. Well, I think she already is, and in a sense, I mean, this is a woman who I think she she just doesn't have a middle. lot of fights. Like, yeah. so it's, well, it's a bold, she, you know, it's a bold statement due to the lack of experience. I wouldn't say that. Like, with the, with the depth of the division, and Suarez is, you know, her innate ability to wrestle, first and foremost. I think she won bronze in, like, a world championship. I can't remember which one. Um, but uh, then you Tokyo look at the Grasso and fight. Moscow. Okay. Two bronzes, by the way. Okay. Yeah. So you look at a grappling against Lexa Grasso, where she did, she wasn't a wrestler against those men. She was a grappler. So she's learned already how to transition from wrestling to grappling and be a submission master as well. Carlos Suarez is going to be a tough test because he's a wrestler. But I don't, like Suarez's sizes, I think it's going to be a little bit too much for Cookie Monster. So I'm picking Suarez here. Yeah. She might finish her, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think, I think she finishes her. Um, and Carla, once again, I, Carla, as a striker, I'm not sure if she can give Suarez enough problems to keep her off of her. And it goes to the ground. I think Suarez wins every scramble. So that, that's going to be tough for yeah. Carla. Um, Al Hassan versus Nico Price. Uh, Nico Al Hassan, just for some spice. I like his name. He sounds like uh, the bad guy from the first Batman movie. Somebody's getting knocked out, and I think Nico Price is going to knock Hassan yeah. out. He sounds yeah. like Ra's Al Ghul, so I like him. Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Uh, Jessica Andrade versus Carolina Kovalkiewicz. I'm going with Kovalkiewicz. Look, I'm picking Andrade, but. The betting line is crazy because Kalikovich is like a plus like 400. So if you're betting, I would pick Kalikovich. I think it's going to be a lot closer than the betting line having. But I'm picking the grass because I think she's a little bit too big and aggressive. And, you know, I think that uh, she can kind of outpoint her and just kind of muscle her around. Yeah. I think Carolina will have a little bit more footwork even than um, we saw on, you know, Andrade's past couple opponents who she have. Uh, Claudia, which was an odd fight to me for Claudia and then uh, Tisha. Claudia's kind of regressed lately. Which is weird. Um, and then, let's see. Who do we have next? Man. Zabit. Don't make me say his last name. I, I'm not good with the pronunciations. Like you guys. <laughs> Versus Brandon Davis. Uh, I'm picking Zabit. Oh, yeah. That? Yeah, it's a showcase fight. Yeah, it is. This guy looks like Abraham Lincoln and Khabib have a cousin that just came over from Russia. And it's incredible because I really like his striking. Yeah, it was good. Which is crazy for a guy who's, you know, wrestling pedigree and they're all supposed to be wrestlers, right? Like, his striking to me is better than Khabib's. Not saying much, but yeah. <laughs> just, the Khabib's undefeated. So you put a guy with that wrestling, you know, kind of pedigree with that striking. I really like him. Um, showcase fight. And then, oddly enough, he's not fighting on the Khabib card in Vegas. Wouldn't that be a natural place for this guy to fight? Sounds uh, like it. It's not. Um, Nico Montano, champion versus Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, Shevchenko by violence is my prediction. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, there's a, you know, there's a lot of people that are getting on the Nico train because she's been so disrespected in this promotion. But man, have y'all watched Bullet Flight Fight? Like, come on, guys. Like, she went Holly Holm, right? <laughs> like, she beat Holly. Like, and she was undersized at all those fights at Bantamweight. Like, she was just not, 
Like, that was not her weight class. She was too small for Amanda Nunez. And I even picked her to win. And arguably, people feel she won the first fight against Nunez. Yeah. So, Montano really doesn't have much of a shot. Valentina has way too many tools in his toolbox. She's going to beat the shit out of Nico. (laughs) By violence. If this makes it past two rounds, then, man, I'm surprised. Color me surprised if it does. Um, Main event, champ, Tyron Woodley, the chosen one. Versus Darren Till. Um, you know how I feel. I don't think Till beat Wonderboy. I thought that was a gifted decision because he was at home. That being said, and I like Woodley, and I like everything. MMA is a funny place, and you're not supposed to be on top forever. And you're 36, and there's going to be a young gun who knocks your ass out. I, I think Till wins this. Till by f- fluky, f- quick fashion knockout. I think he catches it. All right, so there's the co-main event, which is not Nico Montano versus Valentina Savchenko. It's Darren Till versus the fucking scale. That's, <laughs> that's where this fight is going to be decided. Because Till was, the last time I saw a report, he was still 12 pounds overweight. This isn't he the one He damn near died last time. Right. He damn near died and he was still four pounds over. Oh, my God, he was. Uh, I, I thought he died to make weight. You're right. No. So, <laughs> he died and was four pounds heavy. He just had a media day at the UFC uh, Performance Center that I was at. And all that he really talked about is how much he hated cutting weight. And it makes me start wondering, are you going to fucking make weight? Then move up. If you make weight, you're going to lose. Here's why. Tyron Woodley is probably the most, one of the most cerebral fighters who gets no credit for how cerebral he is in the octagon. He makes you think about pulling the trigger on shit. Yeah, but that's also what's made his fights recently boring. Exactly. However, this fight against Till, Till is going to have to get him out of there within a round. If he doesn't, it's going to be over. I guarantee you the plan for Woodley is, if I don't catch him, if he doesn't come charging at me and he chooses to stand in front of me, I'm going to wear his ass down and finish him in the fourth or fifth round. Because mm. that gas tank is going to be on nothing. If he makes weight. I, I, I'm not entirely sure this man I makes weight. I think the fight happens anyway if he doesn't make weight. No, it doesn't. Woodley said he won't fight him. I thought Woodley said he wants to fight him because he's not fighting Usman. Well, he won't fight Usman either. Well, I, I honestly, he just ain't gonna I fight nobody. I, dog, I, if I'm Woodley, I don't fight him because it's just, it's not fair. Because they should. Because here, here's my argument. Here's here's always my argument. Like I know people want to see people fight, but if I'm the fucking champion and you can't make weight to fight me, like we can make this a non-title fight. That's great. But if you knock me out, I lose. Yeah, I don't then, like. Then that. you rerun it back in six months, and you got to make weight to miss weight again. Like it, yes. But but everybody, everybody, all everybody will say is you beat my ass, even yeah. though that you were like a ton of pounds overweight because you know Till's going to be huge on fight night. Oh, yeah. So it's like the gorilla is a great nickname. Yeah. So, dog, I, if, if Till kills himself to make weight, I don't see him having the energy to, to finish Woodley unless he does it quickly. Otherwise, he gets dragged into the deep water and Woodley is it's going to be real rough in the fourth and fifth rounds. I don't think the Till's going to be able to maintain so I'm picking Woodley by late stoppage. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't think it's going to the cards. How about that? It's going to be an exciting fight. It could, I, I, I think, think, I think it could. Woodley catches it. it. Could. I don't think Woodley wants to make this boring. I think Woodley will know within the first three minutes if Till is in his class. And if Till's not, and I think Woodley is very aware. If Till's not, he's going to wear him down. And he's going to stop him if, if Till's not up to the task, if he's being rushed. 
I think Till catches on some fluky stuff, but I can easily see Woodley just barraging him. I don't and, think he, and not I think he plays it smart. I, I, like I said, he, I think he's, he's tired of that safe shit. I think this is where he lets yeah, loose. I don't. I don't think so, man. I think like Woodley's at the point now where he realizes the UFC don't give a fuck about him. No, and the only way to make money is by having that gold, baby. Exactly. So you win by any means necessary. Because <laughs> if not, he's, he's dropping down to a whole different tier. Really yeah. He, he's yeah, dropping so to a whole different exactly, pay price. So you got to win. He's got to win by any means necessary. So I think if it goes to an ugly decision, so be it. But I think Woodley's winning this fight one way or another because I think he's just the smarter fighter. Yeah, it's just an appetizer for Conor Khabib anyway. So, uh, nah, man, I, I like it. It's going to be a good card, though. I mean, not just fucking berate it. It's going to be a good card. It's going to be fun. Um, can't wait to watch it on Saturday. You're not going to New York, are you? No, you man, I'm here. I'm I got, we got too many fights. We got Khan and Vargas, Superfly cards in LA, which we didn't even talk about with Estrada and Donnie Nietzsche is all them fighting on it. Then we got Porter and Garcia and UFC 28. Yeah. It's going to be a crazy recap and episode next week. I, I'm going to be exhausted. Yeah, that's nuts. But, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll do that. And, man, it's going to be a fun week in combat sports, right? That's all we can ask for. Thank you guys for listening today. Um, I hope you enjoyed the opening segment, right? I feel like we weren't super long, but it's really cool to do. Um, Make sure you guys listen and follow us on all social media, at The Corner LSN. Follow me, at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale. Till next time, we're out. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.